Hello there and welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host Rob Warner, joined by Sun Devil Source reporters, Kalen Jones. Kalen, how are you today? Doing all right. Um, I made a bet against Max that his team wouldn't score, but they just scored. So. Oh, too bad, Kalen. I would have been rooting for you there. <laughs> Max Madden, how are you doing today? The NFL drafts tonight. I know you're excited about that. Uh, you know, the Seahawks are probably just going to trade out of the first round anyway, so who really cares? Who really cares? The NFL draft, that's going on tonight. Chris Cartman, our very own site publisher. How are you, CK? I am doing absolutely fantastic, Rob. How are you? I'm doing well. Why are you fantastic, Chris? I think NFL, everybody should NFL be. NFL draft starts tonight, man. Who doesn't love the NFL draft? That's it's true. It's, it's a very fun event. It's yeah, a very you, fun event you to can watch. be Cleveland. You can, you, can, you can come right out the gate with Josh Allen and have another enormous bust. I mean, this thing is this thing is unbelievable. I'm so excited. So, do you think Josh Allen goes number one? Is that your prediction, though? I, I think they're actually going to take I, Baker Mayfield just based on what Adam Schefter was reporting. How do you take Baker Mayfield after your Johnny Manziel incident? Like, I, I don't know. Like, he's yeah. just. I mean, I understand. I'm not saying they're the same, but they're both that enigmatic, you know, quality, quarterback, X factor right. quality. And I, I wouldn't. I do like Baker Mayfield, but not in the first pick. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a quarterback first. I wouldn't even take a quarterback in the first round if it was me. You wouldn't take a quarterback in the first round. You know, that's it. This is an NFL draft podcast we're getting off to, but we're going to talk about Arizona State. There's news breaking today from 247 Sports. Serbia center Uros Plavsic signed a letter of intent with Arizona State today. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about ASU's quarterback situation, the conclusion of ASU spring practices, the NFL draft, which begins tonight on Thursday as we're recording this podcast, and the ASU basketball class, the 2018 class, that is now the highest ranked in program history. Guys, let's get right into the quarterback dilemma for the Sun Devils. Blake Barnett, the news that he's transferring came out yesterday, as we've reported and stated throughout the spring on this podcast. The quarterback is a position Arizona State is thin on after not signing one in its recent class. This uh, prior class, this 2018 class, it was the first time since 2013 that ASU did not sign a quarterback. Wilkins, Manny Wilkins, the starting quarterback for ASU this year, a fifth-year senior, will depart following the 2018 season, and there are currently only two other quarterbacks on roster, Ryan Kelly and Dylan Sterling Cole. Kelly recently had surgery and will be throwing anytime soon per a source. What do you guys make of Barnett's decision, especially in light of the fact that he's now the third ASU quarterback to transfer in the past calendar year with, with Bryce Perkins leaving for Arizona Western, uh, uh, Arizona Western and now at Virginia and Brady White now at Memphis? Um, it, it may be an indication of what direction the ASU coaching staff you know, was looking for in the future. Um, obviously, we saw throughout the spring how Barnett and Dylan Sterling Cole split second-team reps. I had a feeling that you would see kind of Barnett kind of separate himself after competing for that starting role last year. But I think that the fact that he's willing to move on suggests that he didn't see a clear-cut position where he would end up being the starter um, going into next season. So, in, in a personal, for personally for him, I think it's a good move. No, I agree with Kalen, what Kalen said, and it's funny we were talking about how good Blake Barnett did look this spring, and so you know we we thought that he might have a chance to beat out Dylan Sterling Cole. Now, as we've mentioned, ASU has a little bit of an issue moving forward, but uh, I, I do agree that it's probably the right move for Barnett. So. While Barnett was improved in the spring, he still wasn't solidly the number two quarterback. Right. He was still battling Dylan Sterling Cole. Exactly. And he knows, okay, he, I'm not going to start this season. You got Manny Wilkins, probably won't play much. Then you're still in a battle right. 
for the backup spot with one year of remaining eligibility. And you potentially might not get that. And you might and potentially might not get that, correct. So uh, if he is able to graduate this summer and transfer somewhere with two years of eligibility, the odds are he'll probably go somewhere that doesn't have a returning starting quarterback established, maybe even is really desperate for a starting quarterback. Like like USF, right. So um, I think for him... It, and he visited USF. Was it today or is he planning on visiting this week, weekend? Scheduled to visit USF this weekend and may take additional visits after that. Um, now, as you mentioned there, Rob, this is the third quarterback that's left. And you have, of course, only two other scholarship quarterbacks with remaining eligibility. Sterling Cole, we talked about. Ryan Kelly, who had the arm surgery. That's a pretty precarious situation to be in. You want to have four or five scholarship quarterbacks uh, on any roster uh, going into the season. Uh, ASU will uh, only have three, right? So they're so they're they're and one of them's hurt, and we don't know what's going to happen with Ryan Kelly. So that's it's a precarious situation. Um, it shows what happens when you don't sign a quarterback, which um, ASU didn't last year, and that. That's something that, that could really hurt the program into the future. And we're going to be talking a lot more in the premium about what the options are for 2019 and how they sort of remedy this um, under a new coaching staff of Herm Edwards. Let's get into the spring game a little bit, the takeaways from that, and the spring, all the spring practices in general. What were some of the ones that stood out to you guys, either from the game or, or just the practices that you guys observed? Um, obviously, there's a lot of buy-in. But, you know, I'll, I'll try, try to keep this simple and go more in depth on the premium podcast. But I think there's a lot of questions that remain for this team moving forward. We obviously, you know, there's there's veteranship on offense. Um, there's some moving parts on defense with a completely new staff and scheme. But I think there's still, I, I guess, that sense of what is this team? What's their identity moving forward? Um, I think that's something they'll need to establish, you know, during the fall session. And obviously the offseason program has been very beneficial for players throughout uh, the past couple of seasons, so we'll see how they come out uh, motivated going into the first season of Herm Edwards, but it, I, there's a buy-in, at the very least, there's a buy-in. Yeah, uh, a couple of things that, like you said, we'll go into depth a little bit more later, but a couple of players that stood out to me on offense with a chance to actually uh, sort of capture a role were Traylon Smith and Frank Darby, a couple of guys that we've liked all spring long. Uh, Traylon Smith has heavy competition coming in, of course, with the three running backs coming in. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Frank Darby with the third wide receiver spot, are they going to have four or five, or maybe are they going to have uh, Ryan Jenkins, you know, take his spot? But Frank Darby looked really good yeah. in, in the spring game. He had that long touchdown. Uh, so, I don't, I don't know. The couple takeaways that I have is that we saw a couple offensive players and a couple defensive players that maybe we didn't think that they had a shot mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, make a solid case for themselves heading into fall. So, I think my, my big takeaways were just uh, how different the, the the schemes are, especially on defense and all of the skill development that's associated with that. Um, you can tell that they're, they're still kind of very early in understanding uh, how to play in zone defenses in the secondary, uh, understanding what the run fits are supposed to look like in this, in this scheme. Um, and then the offense, how do they handle the protections? I think they struggled with establishing the run throughout a lot of the spring, uh, understanding and identifying where pass rushers were coming from caused them some problems. Um, so I think they're very early on. Um, you look at the the offense, it's different. They were under center more than I think anybody anticipated. We saw naked bootlegs and you know quarterback waggles and play actions that were a lot different than we've seen from the past. 
um, a lot of RPO stuff. This was um, one of the challenges that you have is when you 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 uh, have a new architect of your offense offense every year, as ASU's had for four years in a row now. You lose sort of the identity of what you are, and it's harder for players to really sort of develop into the roles that they're going to have because those things are always kind of changing. So, um, and then also what happens typically, and we, we talked about this a lot on the Devil Sanctuary in our premium form, but um, what happens typically is you go th- cyclically through um, some, some not having a lot of depth from a scholarship standpoint on your roster, and I think that we saw that as well. Uh, quite, quite clearly in the spring at, at certain positions, and they'll they'll remedy that to some degree at some of these spots. Um, you know, like four running back additions, and um, they'll be adding. They're adding a bunch of guys in their secondary and and, and uh, five offensive linemen, right? But uh, but you could just tell that they're very thin in, in in certain places. I'll get into my takeaways, like the guy said, more in in the premium. But some of the biggest takeaways I had, uh, Trelon Smith. I'm really wondering if he can. Uh, earn more of a position than I think he's ha- than he has or is even believed to have with the coaches, um, just by the fact that I think he is a much better running back. I, I think, and he's much more improved um, than when he when he got to ASU. And I think he's done some things, especially in the spring game. I thought he was showing a little bit of the athleticism and uh, uh, elusiveness he has. And then Frank Darby, I just think can really be a factor. I think he's. I think you already know that Kyle Williams and Nikhil Harry are going to be good players for you, uh, above average receivers, obviously. But I think he's the guy that if he can get it all figured out, I think he can really make that wide receiver group um, a great, uh, a really great uh, uh, position group. And um, those were my uh, my biggest takeaways. Mason Walter, though, second ASU offensive lineman to medically retire. Marshall Nathy was the other this spring. What do you guys make of the offensive line a little bit because of the fact that they just lost two guys that both were getting some time with the second team in practices. You know, as Chris mentioned, like they struggled a lot with pass protection, especially in the spring game. Um, and But again, you look at who they're going to bring in um, going into the fall, like Casey Tucker, Roy Hemsley, at least Tucker for sure, he's slotted in as being the team's left tackle. And then Roy Hemsley figures to at least compete for one of those starting positions. So I guess moving forward, like I, I don't think this is the final form. I think you're still seeing the team get adjusted to a new scheme and a new style of offense. So moving forward, I, I think there's – obviously there's significant room to improve, but I, I think there's positives, and you can look at it positively moving forward. And the damage that's that's mostly been done has been to the to the second-team offensive line. That's always been the issue. Uh, the first team, obviously not perfect. They're still figuring out what they're going to do with the left side of it, um, even though maybe the right side seems a little bit more set. And, of course, Cabral at center. Uh, but it, it definitely does hurt that second team depth, and so that 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 hurts the ability to practice at a high level and sort of install those schemes, especially when you have guys coming in later that have to learn them quickly. So look, you had Cole Cabral move to center from left tackle. That, that's an adjustment that changes everything about the chemistry and how guys kind of work together, especially when you have also new offensive line coach, new offensive coordinator, different offensive scheme. You're going under center, um, and then you have guys that are working together that hadn't previously on the first team like Alex Osoya is sitting there next to a left tackle who hasn't played at all in his ASU career to this point Tyson Rising hasn't even really practiced that much right uh, Zach Robertson had a uh, shaky start because he wasn't available or he um, you know was absent from the team excused for the first couple of weeks 
Then he comes in, he plays some right tackle, plays some, plays some left tackle, plays some left guard. Uh, you have Steve Miller gets hurt like after the first couple weeks. He misses a few practices. So the whole chemistry of that, when you're adjusting to so many new and moving parts and also going up against a defense that's now different for the first time, I just felt like there was uh, so many hurdles that were associated with that. Uh, it'll be quite a bit different in August, especially after, you know, maybe the first three weeks and getting Casey Tucker in. They're not going to be deep. They're going to be top-heavy. Um, and we're going to have to see just kind of how some of their younger options sort of develop. But uh, uh, it's very smart uh, by ASU's coaching staff to take two postgraduate transfers uh, in, in, in Hemsley from USC and, and Tucker from Stanford. And then I want to get your guys' thoughts. What are some of the questions you guys – think left were were left unanswered from the spring yeah um i think i mentioned this earlier and again like we'll dive more into it on the premium but like identity especially on on offense establishing it obviously this team wants to be a run first team they're going a lot more under center um we're seeing it come to fruition but it's a matter of being able to impose what the schematics are and you know what their intent is on offense we're obviously like like i said like they want to run the football a bit more but do they have the ability and capability to do that and the consistency, I guess, like all between all 11 players on offense to, you know, execute? I think that's what the biggest thing is offensively. Defensively, um, it's understanding and comprehension of schemes. I think you look at some of the players who are in positions like cornerback, um, that's pretty much set. But I think everywhere else you have some question marks, including at linebacker along the defensive line and in the back end at safety positions. I think there's a lot of question marks as to who fits where or not necessarily who fits where, but who's going to play where, um, and as well as, you know, how quickly can they acclimate to the scheme? I, I think the question of, of who fits where is a good question, though, Kalen, because you look at switching to the three three five, we still don't know who that middle linebacker is going to be, whether it's Kalen Thomas or Merlin Robertson or Nick Ralston even, who, who has a strong spring. And then along the defensive line, they don't have the prototypical, you know, front three right. that, that San Diego State is usually implemented, so now you have to move some guys around maybe like a Shannon Foreman on the edge or, you know, do some unconventional type things. And so who fits where on the defensive side, especially with the new guys coming in like Ashari Crosswell, Merlin Robertson? Uh, that's the biggest question for me. The, some of the questions I have, Kalen, you touched on the running back one a little bit. I'm very curious how that situation is going to play out. I think that Trelon Smith has showed some things and at least deserves consideration in a, in some kind of a, a more upgraded role than, than I think is believed that he will have. But then you have the running backs that we talked about in the spring that are coming in that are very talented and are going to compete right away for for time. Eno Benjamin, I don't know how okay he is. He was uh, wearing he ha- he was using a cane during uh, spring practice uh, during the spring game. And then the tight ends, I I have no idea what the tight ends are going to be this year. I mean, they essentially didn't get used last year. They didn't even have a tight ends coach. Uh, Donnie Yentis now leading that group, and I'm very curious what's going to happen there because I feel like we've seen a little bit of development. As Chris has said, primarily through Mark Walton and Jared Bubach and some of those guys, so I'm very curious about how those two positions are going to end up. Well, ASU used tight ends; they just didn't use them in the passing game. Right. I think people, there was, I think, less than seven catches the whole year. For yeah, tight but ends. I think people like if you have really good receivers and your running backs can catch the ball. Which, by the way, they're going to throw the ball more to the running backs this year than they have in the past, probably. But you don't necessarily need to have a big impact from tight ends in, in, in the passing game. It's more, are you gonna are those guys going to be impactful blockers and, and protectors than anything else? I would say, the, for me, the biggest questions are just how are you going to operate from an execution standpoint? Are, are you going to be able to run your plays 
<laughs> effectively. I, I, like, are the receivers going to be at the right depth in the right places? Are is your secondary in zone coverage going to be able to understand pattern read, understand where they where they need to sit down and, and be be able to be disruptive? We saw. Um, this offense be able to exploit receivers, especially between the hashes. Uh, there was a lot of vertical passes that were completed where you just didn't see a safety get over to the spot because they're tentative or they're slower to react. I thought the secondary was was um, very much very early in, in its in its progress. Of course, you have good corners, Chase Lucas and and, and uh, Kobe Williams. Uh, I don't anticipate they're going to be anything less than, than very competent. But uh, and then as Max said, your middle linebacker position. I mean, that's such an important communicator, and 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 they don't have somebody there that's really established. They're going to probably be able to pass rush effectively. Karan Crump wasn't even out there in the spring. We know what he can do. JJ Wilson looks like he's poised to have a good year. Uh, I think they'll get enough up front. Who who's going to be their backup quarterback? What happens if Manny Wilkins goes down? Uh, and uh, and football is really one loss at the line of scrimmage. So what what's going to happen with your offensive line play from a protection and uh, and run game standpoint? ASU football scheduling a home and home series with Mississippi State. There's an article up on our site that Chris wrote earlier this week. Uh, that we're discussing Arizona State and how its uh, non-conference schedule is actually set all the way through 2026. The Sun Devils will host Mississippi State on Saturday, September 7th, 2024, and they will visit Davis Wade Stadium in Starkville on Saturday, September 6th, 2025. Some of the other prominent non-conference opponents scheduled are Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and LSU between now and 2026, obviously. What do you guys make of the fact that ASU is getting to schedule these games and is going to be you know, getting some more national coverage, obviously, when they play those types of games? Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, a lot of the time, and, you know, I, obviously I can speak from our perspective, Chris, like uh, as students, like the three of us, like, um, you know, coming into the school, like the games that I remembered were the LSU game, the Wisconsin game, like big time opportunities for ASU to play these, you know, heavyweight non-conference opponents. Um, so I think it's definitely a good thing. For, Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame was, I was, I was here for that. Right. So. <laughs> I watched that. No, that was a great game. And, you know, like it, it's a really good opportunity for ASU to put themselves definitely. in a national spotlight against heavyweights. And every single time, at least from what I can remember, they were able to compete. So uh, I think it's definitely good for them moving forward to keep scheduling heavyweights like that. And I think that fans definitely look towards the non-conference opponents first when they see the, the release of a new schedule because you know who you're going to play in conference usually. Uh, you know, there's off years and some things like that. But you look and you go, oh, you know, who is ASU playing this year? It's Michigan State. See, that's that's the sort of thing that you look toward to generate excitement and national television and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to go with a counterpoint here. Um, I think that... Fans, of course, love the marquee non-conference matchups, right? Because it, it, it brings them out. It creates a lot of attention and all of that. I think the Pac-12 is already at a disadvantage because it plays a nine-game conference schedule versus these other conferences that usually have this gimme game in the middle of October or mm -hmm. November. Right. Uh, I also think that, it, that for coaching staff and for recruiting purposes, having that win is actually better than – playing a tougher team in September and, and losing. So I, I'm one of these people that feels like you sh you know, in the Pac-12, you really shouldn't have too tough of a non-conference schedule. Uh, and so if I look at these, the... You have more at stake if you lose the game. 
Okay. Right. Is so that, that's kind of what you're saying in the fact that in the fact that well, like it, in it, these it, other conferences, when you have that gimme game, you don't feel the same pressure, right? Well, uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, sort of. I guess so it, it, having having beaten somebody that's good doesn't actually help your program as much as you think that it might help your program. Like when viewed uh, externally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like recruits don't care that you beat some team two years ago. They it matters more like you, what your record was, your your the continuity of a coaching staff, um, some of the, some of those factors I think. And but when I look at ASU's schedule, because now all of their their schedule is basically locked locked in in the non conference through twenty twenty six, I think they actually have set some really good schedules, even though they don't have some of these marquee games. You look at like you know they played Michigan State the next two years, so obviously that's that's big, but the other games are not. They're not too difficult. San Diego State, like that's a good place that people want to go see. Um, it's very easy for ASU fans to get to UNLV and BYU, which are you know coming up in 2020, 21, and then ASU plays a Oklahoma State, which is kind of a marquee. Everybody, you know, that's a top 20 kind of a program. But but the other two games are kind of easy and um, and accessible for ASU. So I think that all in all. These are actually pretty good schedules, mm-hmm. even if maybe fans would kind of, you know, prefer to have these bigger games. I think it's kind of like biting off more than you can chew. Very similar to how I feel like having a full stadium that's a great environment at 55,000 or whatever it is, is a lot better than having 15,000, 20,000 empty seats at 70 mm-hmm. some odd thousand on the off chance that maybe you eventually become good enough to sell your stadium out. So let's get to the topic we started the show with that I had a lot of fun talking about. The NFL draft. It's tonight happening, obviously, and um, the, there's a few Sun Devil players projected to be drafted tonight. Um, Chad Ruder at NFL. Not tonight, because tonight's just the first round. Or Excuse me, not tonight, but in the draft, there's a few Sun Devils projected to be drafted. You, you never know. Maybe Kalen Balazs gets so high, somebody takes him the first round uh, from these uh, from these. Uh, in, uh, you know, what are the odds? I'm willing to go ahead and bet against. That. I will not. I would not take any bet <laughs> okay. of Kalen Balaj going in the first round. I'm just saying, um, there's some players for ASU projected. Chad Ruder at NFL.com said uh, projected Kalen Balaj going in the third round of the Panthers. Sam, or excuse me, Christian Sam going in the fourth round to the Chiefs, and Sam Jones in the sixth round going to the 49ers. CBS had Christian Sam going in the fourth round to the Chiefs. Kalen Balaj going in the fifth round of the Bills. They did not have uh, Jones drafted, and draft site had Balaj in the fourth round. That was the the only ASU player that draft site had, and draft wire had Balaj in the fourth round. Sam er, Sam Jones in the fifth, and JoJo Wicker in the seventh. What do you guys make of some of these predictions? Um, I I mean, <laughs> looking at Reuters, um, it's giving I guess Balaj the best case scenario where he's ending up in the third round. I don't think that's a good fit. Um, necessarily because, I mean, we've seen over the past couple of years, Carolina hasn't had much, you know, done really well in terms of, t- of utilizing their players and maximizing them. Um, I, I think it's a curious case with Sam Jones, too, because he's been left out of so many of these mock drafts. I mean, he was someone who probably could have stayed and then been considered one of the top um, draft prospects coming out and probably in his mm-hmm. class. But at the same time, the, the guard position, at least from what I've read so far this this draft cycle – uh, the guard position is pretty light, so it makes sense that he went out. It's just odd that he's not um, really considered outside of the lower the lower rounds. But I, I think that Christian Sam is the name to watch, though, of all the guys in ASU because he's I agree quiet, with that, quiet, very, very quietly. Like 
he's being considered a top five round guy. When I think coming into the draft, he was considered like maybe a six or seven, a late round flyer. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, beyond the first round projections and even some of the first round projections, no one exactly knows what's going to happen yeah. tonight or, or beyond that. Uh, but I think I like the way the draft wire does it. Sort of does it in tiers in terms of round rather than just specific teams, which who knows what they're going to do and what's on their specific draft board. I think Balage in the fourth or fifth is, is probably pretty realistic. Uh, I agree with Sam. His his stock has definitely been rising from where I've been uh, where I've been seeing him. I think the fourth might be a little bit high uh, for Christian Sam, uh, but not, it's not that he can't return that value. And then, as you mentioned, Sam Jones, uh, a lot of the, the high end of this draft class, so the first round and so, is really tailored to uh, promoting the run game. There are actually a few pretty elite tackles and some decent guards and, and obviously some good running backs. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's possible that guards could go later in the drafts and, and Jones could be some sort of sleeper. I, I think Christian Sam is the player with the most upside of any of these players in the NFL right away. I think that Kalen Blage probably will go first, though. And I, I'm, I don't think he's going to go in the third round, like you guys are saying. I, I think that'd be a little bit of a reach. I could see him going in, in the fifth round or something like that. And then uh, Sam Jones, I feel like he's going to be a later round guy. I feel like he's going to be six or seven. Even if uh, we think that he has some potential, I don't think that he is going to go much higher than that. I think Christian Sam, though, as a fourth or fifth round guy, really could do some things in the league. There's some things I'm confident about and some things I'm, I'm not confident about. I'm confident that most of the draft Twitter stuff and a lot of the <laughs> just prognostications are just absolute garbage. Like, I, like it gets more and more saturated with people that don't know what they're talking about. Pretty much every year, people trying to make a name for themselves and who really are they? I, I think it's ridiculous. Um, what I don't, what I'm not clear about is uh, only somebody who's good and has studied all of the players at all these positions and know what all the teams really need should really be able to have a strong sense of where guys can go or you know their relative value from a position standpoint. And I have no idea about that. I know Pac-12 players and ASU players specifically. I can tell you what I think about guys. And so what I think about guys, like go back two years ago, I said Christian Sam was like the best draft prospect that they had who was going to be in this class still believe that I still I think that Christian Sam could be a starting inside linebacker in the NFL now I don't think he's going to my guess is he's not going to be a you know first or second day guy he's probably going to be a third day guy um, I don't look at the other guys that are in this draft as people that I would personally draft I I Kalen Balaj I understand people can be really kind of you know, people love his physical skills and the, his they can, body. They can be teased by his, you know, his speed, how he looks on the hoof, and those kinds of things. If you put the film on, and it's just not there. It's just not there. Um, Jojo Wicker, you know, I'm not sure exactly where his position is, it, uh, and 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 what he's going to give you at that at that position. I don't I don't dislike him at all. Uh, Sam Jones. Okay, he's an offensive guard who's just kind of a generic guy. They have a lot of them like that in the in the NFL. And that a lot of times comes down to how tough are you, what are your intangibles are, can you play hurt, and those kinds of things. I like his intangibles actually quite a bit. I think he's a guy who's going to give you everything that he has. He's going to 
you know, be, be really good in the locker room and those kinds of things. And so maybe he's a guy that I would take a flyer on. I just don't know. It's not like I've, I've watched the top 20 offensive guard prospects and, and, and right. set them on some pecking order. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's sort of my sentiment. So now we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the 2018 ASU basketball recruiting class. The news breaking that we mentioned earlier today that Uros Plavsic signed his letter of intent with Arizona State. He came to U.S. in October. He went to Hamilton Heights Christian Academy this year and decommitted from Cleveland State to commit to Arizona State. Chris, what can you tell us about Plavsic? So he came to the United States um, just only in October, as you mentioned there, Rob, uh, right ahead of the high school season, uh, playing for Hamilton Heights. Um, one of the better Christian academies in the country. They won um, this one organization's national championship, and he was considered an All-American player. Um, the team was quite deep. Now, my understanding is he's gained about 15 pounds already since he arrived. Uh, weighed 215 upon arrival, seven foot one. Uh, now is is over 230 pounds. Um, the purpose of him coming to the States was expressly to get scholarship offers and be able to then project to the college level. Um, that's an important development because ASU didn't have a center prospect in what, what was a pretty deep class and also needed to add more size overall. So with this signing, ASU now is the eighth nationally ranked class in uh, 247 sports updated recruiting rankings. Sun Devils have never finished in the top 10. This is uncharted territory, as we tweeted on our official Twitter account, Sun Devil Source, as Sun Devil Source. What do you guys make of the fact that this class now is the best in ASU history? Uh, well, I mean, it's obviously great for the program. I think I look at it specifically in terms of size. Obviously, they're adding a lot of talent and top guys, but that was ASU's Achilles heel for the last few seasons, was not having size. Now they have size, not only underneath. Uh, you know, you talk about Tishon Cherry and... Plavzic joining, uh, of course, Daquan Lake and Romello White down low. But now you have size around the perimeter and the guards with Luke Stewart and Elias Faltona now joining. Uh, and Rob Edwards, who Chris, I think, has spoken highly of as a potential you know, player at the next level. Uh, lots, lots of size and an ability uh, to win games more so uh, next season, probably at a more consistent rate. And as Chris has also noted, you know, talent it trumps everything else pretty much in college basketball. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, I think, again, like we, we – I think we – it's – it's you can't say that it's a paradigm shift in terms of looking at ASU basketball. Uh, we saw the groundwork laid for the team during the past season with Bobby Hurley and the team starting off 12 and 0, and then being able to build off of that and really carry that momentum into re the recruiting front. Again, as Max just mentioned, as Chris mentioned before, the talent is what you know makes a basketball team as good as it is in college basketball. So, I, I think it's definitely a sign that this team is going moving forward. ASU basketball is going to be something to reckon with. The highest ranked class in, in ASU history is uh, when James Harden came into ASU in 2007. The cl that class was the 16th ranked. It was a five-man class. Harden was a five-star. They also signed two four-star recruits. This is the best class um, certainly since then and, and probably the best class in history. You know, it's hard to go back into the 80s or 70s when, there, you know, the recruiting sites and film and all that stuff wasn't readily available, much less pervasive as it is now. Um, uh, the key point here is that um, ASU already had three recruits in this class, Lugens Dort, uh, of course, Tayshawn Cherry, Laz Valtanen, all, all three 
uh, ranked as top 75 recruits in the class by 24-7's uh, independent evaluations and all in the top 125 in the composite rankings, which is basically an industry-generated average. Um, and, and Plavsic, the addition is is also quite big because there's just not that many centers out there. We mentioned earlier, um, what is he, the 13th highest ranked center? 13th highest ranked center, 112th overall player in the nation in this class. And and, and if you look in the West, this, this class was uh, really devoid of big man prospects. And that's another reason why this is such a huge deal. Now, I just want to make clear, Plavsic is probably still a developmental center in a lot of respects. He's not going to like come in and probably start right away for ASU and, and make a big impact. But he's somebody who's going to be around for three or four years and be able to grow into being uh, somebody who's really impactful. You can think of it like maybe a, a Jeff Ayers, you know, formerly Jeff Pendergraf, or maybe like a Jordan Bachinski or something, something along those lines. So that's all the time we have on this podcast. Alongside Sun Devil Source reporters Max Madden, Kalen Jones, and our very own site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.